Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What is faith? Is it refusing to think and reason and just accepting something as true, even though the facts say something different? No, that is not faith according to the Bible. But like I said, some people think that is what faith is. No, that's not faith. That might be called blind faith, but it's not the kind of faith the Bible is speaking of. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 11, verses 12 through 33, in a message titled, Have Faith in God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so here we are. We come back to our study through the Gospel of Mark here, and we're going today to look literally at four words. We just want to look at one sentence out of this lengthy portion of Scripture that we read, but before we do that, I want to talk about a few things, give a little bit of an introduction, and then uh, talk about a few of the other points. But the four words that we're going to look at are found in the 22nd verse, and they are, have faith in God. So that's where we're headed. But as we just look at the, the narrative in general, let me just sort of remind you that this is now the last week of the public ministry of Jesus. So at the end of this week, Jesus will be betrayed. He will be sentenced to death. He will be crucified. And and then ultimately, of course, he will rise again. So what we're looking at in these next few chapters are the things that happened in Jerusalem during that final week of his public ministry. And, and there we find, and, and we'll see that there's much debate with the religious leaders of the day. We will also see that there's some instruction that he gives to his disciples. And, and then we will see finally at the end of this, this week prior to his uh, crucifixion that Jesus is going to teach about uh, what we would commonly refer to as the end of the world. He's going to teach about the fact that Jerusalem is going to be judged, uh, the nations are going to be judged, and, and he's going to finally and ultimately rule and reign over the earth. So that, that's all going to come in the course of this week that we're studying here over the next three chapters. But today, before we look at the four words I mentioned, have faith in God, I, I want to look at a few of the details in the, the verses that we just read. And one of the reasons why I want to look at these things is because there, there has been confusion in people's minds about some of the things that Jesus said here. So first of all, let's look at the cursing of the fig tree. Now, now believe it or not, some people are upset at Jesus because he cursed this fig tree. I've you know, read things where people are you know, talking about how cruel Jesus was, you know, how dare he curse the fig tree and so forth. So I don't know. I mean, that's, I'm not even going to try to explain that to the people who are upset about it. But what we need to understand here is that this is a symbolic act. So Jesus isn't, 
you know, upset and just, I'm going to curse this fig tree because I'm, and I'm ticked. You know, I came here to get some figs and there's no figs. So I'm just going to zap this thing. Jesus is not doing that. He's actually using this as a symbol and it's symbolic of the judgment that is going to come upon the nation. And more precisely, the judgment that's going to come upon Jerusalem and the temple. And, and there's another passage in Luke that gives us a little more insight. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus spoke a parable there. Luke recorded it. And this is what it said. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look. For three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the soil? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. And so, and so this, is, this is the time. When the, the judgment now is being pronounced upon the nation because of their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. And, and so symbolically, by cursing the fig tree, he's sending a message that this is now about to take place. Secondly, I want us just to, to know this about the cleansing of the temple. So when Jesus goes in to cleanse the temple, as he does here, this act is in and of itself, in a sense, it's a proof of his identity. Because no mere human being could have done this. No other person could have just walked into the temple and did what Jesus did. Why? Because the temple was the, the most sacred place in the nation, and it was guarded by a virtual army. So the high priest, he had under his authority, he had really what was in effect an army. And as a matter of fact, when Jesus is arrested in the garden, it's not the Romans who arrest Jesus in the garden. It's the Jewish soldiers that are under the authority of the high priest. So point being that had Jesus not been who he actually was, the son of God, and entering into what was in effect his temple because he referred to it as his own. And he also referred to it in the other gospels as his father's house. Had he not been the son of God, he couldn't have just simply, you know, walked in and did what he did. So the cleansing of the temple was really, in a sense, it was a further evidence of his messiahship. And, and remember, as we read, the authorities themselves were asking him, who gave you the authority? Why do you think you can do such a thing? They couldn't stop him from doing it. But now they were trying to ascertain, you know, what authority he had to be able to do it. So that's the second thing. The third thing is we need to understand that Jesus, like all of us do today, he at times would speak with hyperbole. Now, you know what it means to speak with hyperbole. It means you're exaggerating something. It's an extravagant exaggeration. And it's it's you know, it's communicating something, but it, it's, it's saying it in a, in a much more dramatic type of a way. So if I wanted to use hyperbole about being hungry, I would say, man, I am starving to death. Well, the truth is I'm not starving to death. I, I'm not going to die anytime soon from starvation. But what I'm doing is I'm expressing 
in an exaggerated way that, man, I am really hungry. So we do that, right? We, we do that all the time in, in our speech. And Jesus did that as well. And the reason it's important for us to know that, because if we don't know that, then we might look at some things Jesus said and we think, wow, you know, I don't know, Jesus maybe got this wrong. For example, in our passage that we read, Jesus uses hyperbole here. He says, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it will obey you. That's hyperbole. Jesus never intended for the disciples to go around casting mountains into the sea. What was his point? His point was that what seems impossible to you is not impossible to God. He wants them to know that. That even what, what seems impossible, if you have trust in God, God is able to do what you can't imagine being done. Another place Jesus used hyperbole, just to note, is when he talked about, well, actually his point was to, to communicate the severity of judgment that would come upon those who didn't turn from their sin. And he said this, he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. For it would be better to live life maimed than to have your whole body to be cast into the hellfire. Now, again, did Jesus expect anyone to pluck out their eye? Absolutely not. It's hyperbole. He didn't want anybody to cut off their hand or their feet. He's just trying, like we would do at times, he's using extreme language to communicate something. And so let's not misunderstand Jesus when he uses hyperbole. Let's recognize that's exactly what it is. So don't feel bad if you haven't been able to move that mountain into the sea. Uh, nobody has done that. It was never the intention of the Lord for that to be done. So those are the things I just wanted to kind of touch on those. But I really, like I said, I want to zero in on just this one simple sentence have faith in God, because that's really everything around here. That's what uh, it's, it's all pointing back to. Jesus is calling us to have faith in God. So what is faith? Now, for some people, some people think that faith is that you just, in a sense, like, you know, faith would be something that the gullible would express, because, you know, it doesn't matter that there's no evidence or it doesn't matter that it's absolutely, you know, impossible, ridiculous that such a thing could happen. But faith just says, well, I believe it regardless of that. So what is faith? Is it refusing to think and reason and just accepting something as true, even though the facts say something different? No, that is not faith according to the Bible. But like I said, some people think that is what faith is. No, that's not faith. That might be called blind faith, but it's not the kind of faith the Bible is speaking of. The biblical description of faith is really trusting based on evidence and specifically based on evidence for God that he has communicated to us through his word. So you see, whenever God calls us to believe him, he always gives us a basis for believing. 
So if you've thought that, you know, some people try to separate or, or make a distinction between or put at opposite ends of the spectrum, faith and reason. Well, you know, you people have faith, I have reason. No, faith is based on reason. Now, maybe you're not going to have all of the information, but you have enough information to make an intelligent decision. And that, that's faith in scripture. So Jesus says, have faith in God. But then the second point is that he says, have faith in God. Now, this is the crux of the faith problem for some people. They can't believe in God. That's the whole problem. I can't have, I can't have faith. I can't, I can't believe in God. There's no evidence for God, they say. Anybody ever said that to you? I've had people say that to me. People say, well, I, I've never seen any evidence for God. You know, I have occasionally, and I like to say, well, you know, why don't you look in the mirror? Why, why don't you look in the mirror? Right, right there, as you look at that reflection in the mirror, there, there's evidence for God right there. Now, but, you know, when we look in the mirror, we don't necessarily think about what's actually happening, right? We don't think about these eyes that we're seeing our reflection with, that these eyes are like cameras that are taking pictures, and those pictures are then being reflected on our part of our brain, and then that's all being interpreted to us what we're looking at. No, when I just look in the mirror, I'm just thinking, man, I am getting old, or I, I should shave today, or, you know, if my wife's looking in the mirror, she's thinking, I, I need some makeup. You know, we don't look in the mirror and think, there's a miracle happening right now, but there is. There is a miracle taking place. So, so this whole idea that there's no evidence to believe in God, it, it really just isn't true. As a matter of fact, the Bible itself tells us that there is evidence. And as I'm saying, we are part of that evidence. Paul, in writing to the Roman church in chapter 1, verse 20, he said this. He said, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So here Paul says that, that God's invisible qualities, they, they're clearly seen in the things that are made. In other words, the evidence for God is all around us if we would just open our eyes to really see what's going on. And, and, you know, I mean, if you just, you know, I'm looking over there right now, I'm seeing the, the grass outside, I'm seeing some, some of the little bushes that are growing up along the window, I'm seeing some of the trees. And, and you know, we look at that and we think, oh, there, there's no evidence for God there. But then when you, you start to look at things like photosynthesis and you start to realize what's actually happening with the, the oxygen and the different, different things that are happening that, that have created this unbelievable environment, this perfect environment for us to live in, it's like, wow, I, I, you know, that, that's a little more uh, complicated than I thought it was. So the evidence is all around us. Now, let's talk for a moment about computer programs and websites. How many of you have a computer at home? How many of you have a computer? Okay. How many of you do not have a computer? Any, anybody doesn't have a computer? Okay. It's okay to not have a computer. It's fine. Uh, some people last service didn't have computers, so you guys should get together and start a fellowship for the uh, unplugged, call it unplugged. Um, 
How many of you have been to a website before? Been to a website? How many of you have been to the church's website? You've been to the church's website? Okay, good. The rest of you, go to the church's website, cccm.com. Um, so what you have in a computer or at, at a website or at an app or any of these other things, behind that you have a code. And so there, you know, there's nothing that that's going to happen through a computer program or there's nothing that's going to happen on a website that isn't connected back to the fact that there is a code. So my youngest son, Braden, he is a coder. He's a web developer. And so sometimes he'll come over and he'll say, hey, dad, check this out. You know, I'm building this site or whatever. And, you know, he'll walk me through what he's doing and, and what, what it does. And then, you know, he might, there might be some sort of animated something. And I'll say, well, how did you get it to do that? He says, oh, well, I coded it this. And I'm just like, wow, you know, this to me is like, I don't get it at all. You know, so, so there are these, these languages and their code. And so everything that, that's happening, if you go to the website, you go to the, generally, you know, your web, a website opens at the homepage, and then at the homepage, you have various other features that you can access through the homepage. And all of the things, my point is simply this, all of the things that a, a website does, they do it because of code. Code behind the scenes is everything you see on the screen it's all related to, to these codes, these numbers, these letters, these sequences that you can't see, but they're back, uh, they, they are in, in the background producing what you do see. Now, so the program, though, is the work of a programmer. The code is the work of a coder. There, there's not really anybody, I would imagine, that thinks that a computer programs itself or that, you know, code just originates spontaneously just sort of out of nowhere. Nobody would think that. That would be absurd. That would be ridiculous. That would be laughable. You know, if, if you said, well, I, I don't believe... I don't believe that, that there's a coder. I, I just think that this software, I just think it just came together. I don't know. It just happened. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. You know, people would say, well, okay, you're nuts, but fine. You know, it didn't happen that way. Now, listen. Listen to a man who says, we're talking about evidence for God, right? Listen to a man who says he sees no evidence of a God who created. This man happens to be Richard Dawkins. We'll use him as an illustration here. He, he says, of course, he, he sees zero evidence for God, but listen to what he says about the DNA. The DNA code is so digital, it is almost exactly like a computer code. Almost exactly like a computer code. DNA is it's a biological form of a computer code, or the computer code, of course, came later. But, but that's, that's what Dawkins says. Now, Bill Gates, who's not like an outspoken atheist necessarily, but he, he just simply said this. He said, DNA is more advanced than any software ever created. Okay, so I'm saying that Jesus says, Has faith, have faith in God. Some people say, oh, I, I can't do that. I just, I don't see any, any evidence for God. Like I said, well, look in the mirror. 
but let's look in the microscope. Let's, let's look at DNA. Now, DNA is the information source that makes every living thing what it is. So DNA is made up of nucleotides, four molecules. That's also called a molecule. DNA is a molecule in every living thing telling it what it should look like and how it should function. So DNA is a code. How do you have a code but not a coder? It makes zero sense. And as complicated as computer codes are, DNA is infinitely more complicated than that. So, so the idea that you could have something so complex that came about not because of an intelligent mind behind it, but just, just randomly came into existence, that, that is the idea. That's what Dawkins and others believe. It, it just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. As a matter of fact, molecular biologist Douglas Axe, he put it this way. He said, the chance that DNA could have developed through random chance mutations, as Dawkins and others suggest, is 1 in 10 to the 74th power. Now, that's a, a number that, you know, is <laughs> incomprehensible. Um, but he, he wanted to give us, you know, some sort of a way to to comprehend it to some extent. So he said, this is what, this is what it would be like. For, for DNA to develop through just random mutations, it would be the same as an atom, an atom, A-T-O-M, marked. Somehow you got to mark this atom. And this atom is, it's somewhere in the Milky Way galaxy. And now what you do is you get an astronaut and you blindfold him. And the chance that the astronaut's going to just, you know, reach out and grab that atom is the same chance that DNA is going to develop through random mutations. So what does it tell you? Mathematically, it is utterly impossible. So it's impossible for there to be a sophisticated code like DNA is without there being an intelligent mind behind it, without there being a coder. It, it, it can't happen. So the next time somebody says to you, I don't see any evidence for a God, just ask them if they know anything about DNA. Ask them if they know that it's a code. And then just simply ask them, who coded it? See, there, there has to be. So, so this idea that having faith in God is something that, you know, only unintelligent people do that. There's, there's really just nothing more absurd. So DNA is a code. There must be a coder. I can't think of anyone better than the God of the Bible to fit the bill. So having faith in God seems to me to be the most reasonable thing any human being could do.
month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. Everyone loves a story of an unlikely person overcoming insurmountable odds. And as Christians, we all want to be used by God in great ways. The story of Gladys Allward is the story of both. A woman who was rejected by the China Inland Mission due to being unfit and uneducated, but used greatly by God to reach the lost in China. A London Sparrow chronicles the Christ-led adventure of Gladys Allward's perilous and solitary journey from London to China through a war zone and prison. Be inspired by what God can do through a life that is surrendered to Him. We encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order a London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.